Drift is the decision you make by not deciding or by making decisions that unleash consequences for which you don't take responsibility. The word drift has overtones of ease or laziness. Not true. That's Gretchen Rubin. And this is the Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Wednesday. I am grateful for you tuning in with me today as we have five-time New York Times bestselling author and top-ranked podcast host Gretchen Rubin debuting on the show to, she's here to inspire us to follow that innermost flame that we have to go after our dreams. And if you may have drifted away from that dream, then it's okay to pivot, reignite that flame and stick that stake in the ground and never turn back. Here's Gretchen Rubin. Enjoy. Now, what is drift? Drift is the decision you make by not deciding or by making decisions that unleash consequences for which you don't take responsibility. You want to please the people around you or avoid a fight or a bout of insecurity, so you take the easier path. You take a job because someone offers you that job. You get married because everybody around you is getting married. You go to medical school because both your parents are doctors. That's drift. Drift can happen at any age and in any aspect of our lives. I fear drift. Drift feels small, but it is a powerful, almost unstoppable force. In my case, I drifted into law school. I didn't know what else to do with myself. I was good at research and writing. I figured it would be a useful, legitimate way to spend a couple of years. Uh, it would keep my options open. I really didn't think much about it. Just taking one drifting step is often enough to start you in a course that's very hard to alter. In my case, I drifted into taking the LSAT, the law school admissions test. I thought, I might as well, it can't hurt, maybe it'll come in handy, it'll keep my options open. And this is a good example of the fact that drift does not mean taking the easier course. The word drift has overtones of ease or laziness. Not true. Drift is often disguised by huge amounts of effort and perseverance. Just because you're working hard does not mean that you are not drifting. In my case, I drifted into law, and it was hard every step of the way, from the LSAT to my property final to the New York State bar, bar exam. And here's the funny thing. 
I'm happy I went to law school and became a lawyer. I went to Yale Law School, which is pretty fun as law schools go. I got a great education. I got to clerk. I got to be editor-in-chief of the Law Review. I met my husband. Um, and that's the tricky thing about drift. Sometimes it makes you happy. But don't count on it. So I went to law school, and I was clerking. And I was clerking for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when I was struck by an idea. And this is something that happens to me, I have to admit, fairly regularly um, throughout my whole life. I'll, I'll, I'll become overwhelmed by an idea and want to spend all my time thinking about it. This time, I was taking a walk during my lunch hour, and I was gazing up at the dome of the Capitol building against the bright blue October sky. And I thought, what am I interested in that everybody else in the world is interested in? I thought, well, power, money, fame, sex. And power, money, fame, sex exploded in my mind. And I was, became obsessed with this idea, which to me was this set, power, money, fame, sex. And I wanted to spend all my time thinking about it. And that's what I did. After work every day and on the weekends, I would research and take notes and think about power, money, fame, and sex. And by the way, a little-known perk of being a Supreme Court justice is that you get to actually check out books from the Library of Congress. Everybody else has to read them there, but you can actually take them home. And I would run these requests through Justice O'Connor's chambers. My favorite was a book called Deep in the Heart of Texas, the true story of three sisters who were all Dallas cowboy cheerleaders. And this book was a fascinating meditation on fame. But what the librarians at the Library of Congress thought about the fact that Justice O'Connor was requesting the book, I don't know. So I was spending all this time researching and taking notes on my subject. But I thought of it as a project. I didn't think about it as preparation for a book. And then I had three epiphanies in close succession, which, which allowed me to think about it in a different way. The first epiphany came when I was visiting the home of a friend who was in education graduate school. She had all these very boring-looking, thick textbooks lying around. And I, I picked one up and said very dismissively, like, oh, is this what you have to read for your program? And she said, oh, but that's what I read in my free time anyway. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what do I do in my free time? And I had to admit, I didn't spend one single minute on law more than I had to. I did everything I had to do to do an excellent job and not one thing more. And that made me different from my co-clerks. They were reading law journals on the weekend. They were talking about cases in our lunch hour. They were energized by their efforts. And I wasn't. And I began to think, what if I could do for work what I do in my free time? The next epiphany came when I was reading the alumni magazine for my university. And I noticed that when I read about people who had interesting legal jobs, I felt a kind of mild interest. When I read about people who had interesting writing jobs, I felt intensely uncomfortable. And I admitted to myself that what I was feeling was envy. The final epiphany came when, in a conversation with my sister, the sage. My sister is five years younger than I am and a huge influence on me. And I was saying to her, well, I'm thinking like maybe I should try writing, but the thing is I want to feel legitimate in something like law or 
finance or politics. That seems so legitimate. I figured she'd say something like, well, writing is legitimate, or uh, you can always change your mind later if you want. But she was far too astute. She said, do you feel legitimate now? I said, no, not really. She said, you've always had this craving for legitimacy. Fine. It's your nature. Accept it. Don't let it drive your decisions. And I realized that she was right. Now, why did it take me so long to think about becoming a writer? Because if, if I look back on my life, I did many, many, many things to prepare myself to be a writer. For one thing, I have a very hard time with my, what I call my resolution now to be Gretchen. As part of my happiness projects, I've identified my 12 personal commandments and my first personal commandment, and the most challenging and the most important is to be Gretchen. And of course, you have to substitute your own name. Um, and I have, I have an idea of the way I wish I were. And it sometimes obscures my understanding of who I actually am. I pretend even to myself to enjoy activities that I don't enjoy, like shopping, or to be interested in subjects that I'm not really interested in, like fiscal policy. And even more dangerous, I ignore my true interests and my true desires. That is an attitude of mind that makes a person very susceptible to drift. But I was lucky. For me, the desire to write became so overpowering that I couldn't ignore it and I couldn't resist it. I came to a point where I knew that I would rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. And I was lucky because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Because sometimes people finally find themselves in drift. And they know they, they want to get out, but they don't know where they want to go. They know they don't want to be an associate in a law firm, but they don't know what they want to be doing instead. Not only did I know that I wanted to be a writer, but I knew exactly what project I wanted to be writing on. And in fact, I'd been working on it for months. And the timing was perfect. My husband and I were getting ready to move from New Washington, D.C. to New York. And this was my chance. I had to do it now. So I went to the bookstore and got a book with an unsubtle title like How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal, and I followed the directions. And once I had a proposal, I used every contact in my personal network to get it in front of agents. The day that I got an agent was a major milestone for me. That was what changed me from being a person who wrote for fun on the weekends to a professional albeit unpublished, writer. But it's very uncomfortable. So, and, then I, and then I was out of drift. But it's very uncomfortable to admit to yourself that you're drifting. So how do you catch yourself in drift? I'm going to pose some questions. Ask yourself if you answer yes to any of these. I often have the peculiar feeling that I'm living someone else's life. I spend a lot of time daydreaming about a completely different life as an escape from what I'm doing now. I find myself getting very angry if someone challenges the values that I think I'm working toward. I'm working like crazy as a fifth-year associate, and I get angry when someone suggests that money and security aren't important. I fantasize that some catastrophe or upheaval will blow up my situation. I'll break my leg or get transferred to another city. I find myself having disproportionate reactions. 
I have a friend who went back to acting because she was in a conversation with a bunch of people about acting and she started crying. <laughs> I feel like other people or processes are moving events forward and I'm just being carried along like the LSAT. I find myself doing or getting something because the people around me are doing it or want it. There's something in my life about which I used to be passionate, but now I never allow myself to indulge in it. In fact, it makes me uncomfortable even to think about it. I've justified certain actions by assuring myself, I might as well, it can't hurt, this might be useful, this will keep my options open. They say the curse of Yale Law School is to die with your options open. Uh, <laughs> I can always decide later. I can always change my mind. Nothing's forever. How bad can it be? As I said, my first commandment is to be Gretchen. And leaving law to become a writer is the most important single step that I've taken in my entire life to be Gretchen. I decided to do what I wanted to do and to ignore opportunities, no matter how enticing, because I knew they weren't right for me. And it come ba comes back, as always, to a fundamental truth about happiness. To be happy, I have to know myself, accept myself, and build a life on the foundation of my own nature. And I couldn't drift my way there. Big thanks to Gretchen Rubin for stopping by. I got this clip from YouTube. It is entitled Gretchen Rubin at 5 by 5 The Happiness Project. And if you'd like to connect with her, there's a multitude of ways. You can go to her website, GretchenRubin.com, which is also her Instagram and her YouTube. Her latest book is entitled Life in Five Senses, How Exploring the Senses Got Me Out of My Head and Into the World. And lastly, her podcast is entitled Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And everything I mentioned, along with a link to today's entire talk, they will all be in the show description so you can go and check that out if that so interests you. And if you like the show, please give it a follow or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify Podcast. As I always say, and I truly mean, I truly, truly appreciate you taking out the time to do that. And that is a wrap for me. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and I will see you back here tomorrow. So until then, stay strong. Later.